We're going to look at this section tonight under the title, Glorious uh, Protection. Growing up outside Newry, uh, the troubles were very much part of my life. Growing up, probably in my younger days as a young boy, I didn't maybe realize the full implication of it, but it was something maybe quite exciting. Uh, maybe in later years, you become more aware of the challenges. Uh, shortly before I came out tonight, uh, there's a wee Facebook page that I follow. Uh, just remembers the victims of the troubles and one of my best friends at school we actually got thrown out of English class together one day uh, today is the anniversary of him being killed he was a policeman who was killed 28 years ago but one of the things we're growing up in that area I'm a father being in the army uh, our house was a, a regular tea house for the army and for the police and some of the army patrols would be asking them where they were and they all seemed to be saying they're on the field behind our house they regularly would be in our house for cups of tea and the police would be as well and then when we actually lived in moy uh, our house in moy became a tea house as well uh, and uh, many stories happened because of that people see the police car at our house and think we'd been burgled again we actually never got burgled but that was a story going around but Growing up, you know, uh, in the situation we grew up in, it was always very reassuring uh, to have policemen and soldiers around your house. Uh, you had a sense of protection, and as a young boy, seeing their machine guns and stuff and that, then it was always very exciting. Uh, there was one occasion, my father, uh, he worked in the EDR, but also part-time for Kaywoods in Belfast, and one uh, day he slept in, and there was a knock on the door. It's about seven o'clock in the morning, and this big soldier standing there asking my mum, uh, "Why has Mr. Moody not gone to uh, work?" And he says, "We've slept in, and he wouldn't leave until he had gone through every room, check we were all safe, and that we weren't being held hostage." And unknown to us, my father had noticed the grass trampled in the field behind, where so obviously somebody been lying. They had been guarding our house, and that sense of protection uh, it was always a lovely reassuring thing knowing there were people who were watching over you the Christian life isn't easy but one of the lovely things is that we have protection in the Christian life and in this prayer that we're thinking about here the the second half of this prayer is very much about Jesus praying for our protection and we're going to think tonight about the protection that Jesus gives us and just the, the blessing of that. But first of all, why protection is needed in verses 11 to 15. And there are three reasons here. First of all, Christ is leaving. He says that in those verses that he protected his disciples while he was there physically with them. But physically, he's going to be leaving them soon. He's going to be going to the cross, to be raised, and then ascending into heaven. He protected them when they had wrong ideas, like when James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven and burn up the Samaritans. It was Jesus who rebuked them. He, uh, he rebuked Peter when he had a, a wrong idea about the type of Messiah that Jesus was going to be and not one going to the cross. He prayed for Peter that he would be brought back when he would deny him. And at that time when he was arrested, he made sure the disciples were not arrested as well. He made sure that they could go free. So 
He spent so much of his ministry like a parent, just watching over his children, protecting them, keeping them safe. And I'm sure this was a real tug to him. This was a real challenge that he was going to be leaving them. And for those of your parents, when your child leaves home, I'm sure, or goes to university or something, uh, that must be so hard uh, that you're going to be removed from them. Can't protect them in the way that you once were able to. And so Jesus is praying for protection because he's not going to be physically there to do it. The second reason why the protection is needed because verse 14, they are different from the world. He says there, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Christians are described by Peter as aliens in this world. We're radically different from the world around us through salvation. There might be folk we grew up with and we're very similar, but if we become Christians, we should be very different. And this difference from the world around us will create tension. As we don't just fit into the world, we don't just fit into its ideas, its thinking, its priorities, and us being different can make people feel uncomfortable. Think of the story of Paul and Silas in Philippi and how through their ministry that slave girl was delivered from evil. And just think of the knock-on impact that her owners no longer could make money from her as she would have been a, a fortune teller. And so they were angry and Paul and Silas were then taken, they were beaten, they were put in prison because their Christianity challenged the way of life of these people. And that is why Christianity is something that's often unpopular, is we challenge people, we challenge how they think. And if we aren't challenging people, if there's not a, a tension between those of us who are Christian and people who are not Christian, if there isn't that tension at times, are we maybe too worldly? Let's be careful here. It is possible as a Christian to be too nice. Now, we don't go out of our way to be awkward. We don't go out of our way to make people unnecessarily uncomfortable. But sometimes if we're going to be faithful to Christ, we will make people uncomfortable. And the third reason why protection is needed is the evil one is real. Look at verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The devil is real. He's not just a, he's certainly not even at all a wee man with uh, horns and a, a wee fork and a fork tail or that. He is a real fallen angel. He is wicked, he is scheming, he uses tactics to harm Christians, persecution, temptation, temptation to distract us from what we are about, temptation to cause us to compromise. He works to spread disunity. And wherever the Spirit of God is working, where God is working, the devil will be working as well. And ignorance of the devil, ignorance of his schemes and what he does, is one of the great weaknesses of modern Christianity. Uh, some Christians, I think, don't even believe the devil is there. 
And other Christians don't believe that the devil has ever spoken to them. Now, the devil may not have actually spoken to you, but certainly demons will have spoken to you. I'm sure demons have spoken to you today. Just whisper these thoughts, wrong thoughts, into our minds, into our It's the quick wee thoughts, or it can be the repetitive, just keep something, keep coming back to us. He is real. So, three reasons why protection is needed. Christ is leaving. Christians are different from the world, causes tension, and the evil one is real, and he wants to trip us up. And then, secondly, we see that we are protected by the word in verses 16 to 19. And this is glorious. We see, first of all, the word that sanctifies there in verse 17. Jesus says, sanctify them in in the truth. Your word is truth. And to sanctify just means to make holy. It means that they will grow, that they will mature, that they will become like Jesus in love, in purity, in wisdom. We are protected as the word matures us, as the word enables us to grow up. It's a wee bit like a, a, a lion cub. If you ever have a lion cub to look after, and don't any of us have, uh, initially a wee lion cub will need a lot of protection. Uh, it'll need to be watched. But the best way to protect a lion cub in the long term is to feed it, to enable it to grow. And when it grows and develops, it doesn't need a lot of protection. When it's mature and strong, it will certainly be able to look after itself. And it's the same way when we're young Christians, we need a lot of tender care, but as we grow and develop and get stronger, then we are protected as we mature. It's a bit like there's an often used wee story of the wee boy who fell out of bed and he asked why he fell out of bed. I stayed too close to where I got in. And one of the reasons why so many Christians fall is we stay too close to where we got in. We're not maturing. We're not growing. In the church, alongside the mindset of always being evangelistic and reaching out the gospel, there must always equally be the mindset of discipleship of growing, of maturing, of developing. And everything we do as a church practically should fall into those two camps, evangelism or discipleship. And if what we're doing doesn't fall into those two camps, maybe at times we do need to question if we should be doing what we're doing at all, if it's not for evangelism and discipleship. The word that sanctifies, the word that enables us to grow up, to become like Jesus. And then we have the word that reveals in verses 11 to 12. Verse 11, Jesus said, I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we're one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says and asks the Father there to keep them in your name? And also, I kept them in your name. 
Now, what has the name of God to do with the Christian being kept? Well, the name of God speaks about how God has revealed himself. It speaks the truth about God. And we don't use names generally today to speak about people in the same way, but in Bible times, names said a lot about the person. And think about God. He revealed himself to Moses. I am who I am. His name revealed so much about him. And God's name includes all of God's amazing attributes, qualities, and resources that are made available for his people. And so when Jesus says, they're kept by your your name, God the Father, they're kept by all that you are. All your attributes and qualities and resources, you use all that you are to keep your people. Now, the thing is, all of these attributes and qualities and resources that come from God come to the Christian through the Word of God. And it's through the Word that God has revealed, it's through the Word that God's resources come into the life and the heart of the believer so that we are protected. Just use a a war illustration. We think of the the war at the moment in Ukraine. And the Ukrainian army, the president, is constantly calling for uh, supplies, for ammunition, for the weapons that are needed. And so the resources are important, but also the supply lines are equally as important. And so the resources of God, all that is true about God, all the qualities and characteristics that are there in God, those resources of God come to us. The supply line is the Word of God and the Spirit of God working together. The Word of God, it's reading, studying, and the teaching of the Word brings down the immeasurable resources of God to the believer. And so all the weapons we need, all the food we need, all the strength we need to resist the evil one, to be able to stand strong in this world where we're out of place, it comes to us from God through his word. So the word that sanctifies, the word that reveals, and thirdly, the word that consecrates. If you look at it from verse 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, Jesus is here praying for his people to be sanctified, made holy by the truth. And that will protect them. But for that to happen, for that to benefit, Jesus has to do something that he mentions there in verse 19. He consecrates himself. This means he commits himself to a particular work, to a particular task. And the particular work that he's thinking about here is what's going to happen to him. The going to the cross is the work of salvation. What this means is that when we in faith receive God's word, It is the means through which the benefits of Jesus' death are applied 
to our soul. Do you get that? The benefits, the power of Jesus' death comes to our soul through the Word of God. We sing the lovely chorus, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. The power of the blood to deal with our sin, to cleanse us, it comes to us through the Word of God. And that power keeps coming into our lives through the truth of God's Word being applied to us. So do you see how we are protected by the Word? It's the word that sanctifies, makes us holy, grows us up to be strong. It's the word that reveals, it's the word that reveals all the qualities and the attributes of God and brings them to us. It's the word that consecrates, the word that brings the benefit of Jesus consecrating himself to the cross. It brings the benefits of that cross work to us. And so the only possible response to this truth is that we consecrate ourselves to the word and as we do that we get the benefits of Jesus and all the resources of God Father Son and Holy Spirit are opened up to us then thoroughly protected for unity in verses 20 to 23 so where why protection is needed protected by the word, and protected for unity. Jesus is not just praying for the disciples of his day. He is praying for all who would believe. Look there at verse 20. And may this warm our hearts. I do not ask for these only, that's his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Christian, do you see what's happening there? As Jesus is shortly going to go to the cross, he is praying for you. He is praying for me. Now, doesn't that do your soul good? When you're struggling in your Christian life, and maybe struggling even to pray, Jesus has and is praying for you. It's lovely I have people like my mum and other people who I know and around the church, people who regularly pray for me. And it's such an encouraging thing when you talk to people, particularly people who maybe haven't seen for some time, and they tell me, William, I'm praying for you. I pray for you every day. I pray for you every week or whatever. But what a thought. Jesus has you. Jesus has me on his prayer list. How wonderful that is. How good that is. But what is Jesus praying for us? Look at verse 21 here, what he's praying for us. He's praying that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is praying for unity. But the very he's not just praying for any sort of unity here. The unity that he experienced with his father. Do you see that beginning verse 21? 
that they may be one also, as just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So Jesus is saying that the Christians will be as united with each other as he is united to the Father. And the way he describes it there is he is in the Father, the Father is in him. He can't be any more united than that. He's not saying he's beside the Father and the Father's beside him. He's in the Father, the Father's in him. That's the unity that Jesus was praying for. There's a depth to this unity because that relationship between the Father and the Son is way beyond anything we can imagine. This is a unity in the truth. It's a unity in God. It's a unity that comes from the Spirit of God living in us. It's not just people getting on with each other. It's not just people ignoring their differences. A real unity that comes from being joined to the one God, having the one Savior, and having the one Spirit within us. And what's the purpose of this unity? Look at the end of verse 21. So the world may believe that you have sent me. And verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Unity leads to this powerful witness for the gospel. And when believers divide, when believers are disunited, it is a terrible witness to the gospel. But when we are united, it is glorious, the witness of this. Now, how does this unity be achieved? Let's look what he says, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Now, what does he mean when the glory that you have given me, he gives it to them? What does Jesus mean when he says that he, the glory that the Father has given the Son, he gives to his people? Now, really, we're, uh, we're treading in the depths here, and really, it's beyond us in many ways. But this is what we surely can say. Jesus means that something of the nature, the character, the wonder of Christ enters into the believer. Something of the greatness of Jesus comes into the life and the soul of the person who trusts in them. We, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, you see on the screen, I think it's, it's talking about something similar, where he says... His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Do you grasp what he's saying here? A Christian is someone who has been revealed to them the greatness of God, the glory of God through his truth, and as that greatness of God has been made known to them, something of the divine nature they become partakers of. 
something of the reality of God, something of the glory and wonder of God enters the soul of the believer when they trust in Jesus. Now, I can't explain that fully. I don't think anyone can explain that fully. But the crucial thing to know is when you trusted in Jesus, you became a new creation. You became a new person. The nature of Christ, the life of Christ, the reality of God comes and lives within you. And it's through that reality of God living within you as you're drawn closer to God and become more like Christ, we become more and more united together. It's like the, the spokes of a wheel. And when you're at the outside of the wheel and on the different spokes, you're, you're apart and divided. But as you get closer to the hub, you become closer together. And the power of God has come into the Christian soul. The nature of God has come into the Christian's life and keeps coming into their life through the word of God as we study it, as we read it, as it's preached. God comes into us more and more and brings us from the outside closer and closer to the hub and we become closer and closer to each other. That's the plan. And as we become closer to each other, and more united with each other, we become more and more protected together. Protected for unity. And then one final point is protected for glory. So we have the need, why protection is needed, protected by the word, protected for unity, and protected for glory. Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' desire here is for these believers to grasp the glory that Jesus has in this relationship between him and the Father. Becoming a Christian means it's like coming into the family of God. It's coming into the household of God where we see the Father and the Son communing with each other, talking to each other, sharing with each other. We've said before by John 17 in this prayer between the Son and the Father, it's really holy ground. But this is where Christians are brought into. We're brought into the family of the Trinity. We're brought in to be observers of the love and the closeness between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And look at verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you've sent me. I have made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love of which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, there's two amazing things that Jesus is saying here at the end of verse 26. His desire is that the love that the Father has for Jesus, that amazing, immeasurable love that the Father has for Jesus, would be in the Christians as well. 
the Christian is loved by the Father in the same way that he loves his perfect, flawless Son, Jesus. <laughs> How amazing that is. That we who fail the Lord, we who let the Lord down, we who have those wrong thoughts, we have that sin in our lives, who try our best but we still mess it up, he loves us. And the love that the Father has for the Son is a love that's in us. He talks about that love being in them. It's not just a love for them. It's a love in the Christian. It's a love that is experienced by the Christian. And here we see where through value, purpose, fulfillment, contentment, and joy for all of eternity comes from. And we can begin to experience that not in heaven. We can begin to experience that here on earth. We can have a, a big taste of heaven on earth as we become more and more aware of the love of the Father, not just that he has for us, but that lives in our lives, that becomes a part of our being. Because look at the last thing he says, which you have loved them may be in them, the love in them, and I in them. And so he's talking about how he, through his spirit, lives within the Christian. So how can we resist the devil? How can we resist the, the world when it wants us to be different? How can we be united when the, that Christian is really awkward? How does that be maintained? It's Christ living in us. It's Christ revealing the love of God to us. It's all the resources of God Almighty coming to us through Jesus, through his word. Please take some time. Take some time to read over this again and again and again. I recommend there's a series by Lloyd-Jones. You probably could get it still uh, on John 17. The first one's called Saved in Eternity. Because if we really grasp this more and more, it will blow our minds, not to make us crazy, but it will blow our minds for holiness and praise and worship. The love of the Father, the love that the Father has for Jesus, it's in us. Jesus, through his spirit, is in us. What an amazing truth that is. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And Father, we're trying to go into real depths here, Father. And yet it's as if we feel just that we're capable just for paddling in the shallow end. But Father, so often today the Christianity that we see around us, it is so shallow. It's so flippant. It's so fickle. So changeable. There's not the depth to it, Father. And Father, we realize that Jesus has died, though, to take us into the depths. And to take you, O oh God, and your love into the very depths of who we are. 
Oh, Father, grant that we would not be staying close to where we got in. But, Father, we will grow and mature and develop and become more like Jesus. We'll realize this is our calling and commit ourselves fully to your truth for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.